Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced by the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. Join us for conversations with prominent scholars, writers, and researchers as we discuss their ideas. Come in! In today's episode, new host Allison Nobles interviews Jane Ward, a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California at Riverside. Dr. Ward's most recent book, Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men, explores the relationship between whiteness, masculinity, and sexuality. She explains how sex between straight white men actually reaffirms their straightness rather than calling it into question. In fact, Dr. Ward argues that homosexual acts are a necessary part of heterosexuality and have been since these categories were created. Not Gay clearly illustrates the complexity of human sexuality at the intersections of race and gender. Jane Ward, thank you for stopping by office hours today. My pleasure. So in your book, you argue that homosexual contact is an integral part of heterosexuality, especially white male heterosexuality. So why is this such an important claim to make in your book? Sure. Well, you know, this book is about the fact that sometimes people have homosexual sex for heterosexual reasons. And and because that's the case, it isn't very productive to imagine that every single instance of homosexual contact is um, a signal of repressed gay or bisexual identity. So the sex that I describe in the book is homosexual in the technical sense of sexual contact between two people, presumably of the same gender, but it's, it's heteroerotic. We often use the term homoerotic, but I'm suggesting that it's heteroerotic and that it is completely embedded within uh, uh, heterosexual and heteronormative cultural context and that heterosexuality is the um, prevailing framework for the, the men who are participating. So the men involved are touching each other in ways that they they imagine to actually be strengthening rather than threatening their heterosexual masculinity. Um, and often they don't relate to this kind of touching as, as even sexual at all, though, um, you know, I, I argue in the book that it, it can be quite productive to think about it as sexual contact. Yeah, interesting. And this kind of plays off of one of your points that you make that uh, even though these straight men are having sex with other men, you say that they should still be understood as straight. So can you explain why that is? Sure, yeah. I, so I'm making the argument that I think we would all be better served by thinking about sexual categories as cultural formations rather than biological categories. Um, and so from this perspective, Again, we don't need to imagine that each and every person who has ever had even one homosexual encounter is lying to themselves uh, if they don't identify as gay or bi. Um, instead, I think, you know, if people have um, engaged in homosexual contact, but they're deeply invested in heteronormativity and heterosexuality 
not gayness or bi-ness feels fundamentally like home to them, um, then I think it's more politically and analytically useful to call that straightness um, to, to actually hear what people are, how people themselves are understanding the meaning of their sex practices rather than constantly defaulting to the closet. Um, and so, so, so in the book, I say, you know, homosexual contact that happens in the service of heterosexuality is best understood as straightness rather than imagining that all homosexual encounters indicate um, that we should, you know, anyone who's ever engaged in a homosexual encounter should sort of be embraced into the lesbian and gay movement or forced to identify as bi or gay or queer. I just don't, um, I personally, you know, the kind of dudes, the frat bros I'm talking about here who sometimes put their fingers in each other's butts, like I'm not invested in having those men, uh, <laughs> you know, come into the queer movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so why only white men for your book? Yeah, well, you know, I think whenever the main, whenever the media and the academy, frankly, describes a sex practice um, as unique to people of color, I think we need to be suspicious about that. And that's what was happening about um, 10 years ago when a significant amount of attention was being paid to to primarily black men, but also um, Latino men, Chicano men on the down low. And um, uh, you know, there was a very high profile piece that a story that ran in the New York Times about the down low, and then a number of you know academic accounts followed. And most of these, um, most of the commentary about the down low suggested that the reason that straight identified men of color would have sex with men and still identify as straight was because they just couldn't be honest about their true bisexuality or homosexuality and that the reason that they couldn't be honest was because they came from such hyper homophobic uh, ethno-racial communities and um, and you know I knew that straight identified white men also engaged in these same same kind of uh, homosexual practices that they did not understand as bi or gay and that they, you know, white men sexual, the complexities of white men sexual behavior had really flown under the radar. No one was paying attention to it. And white men were given a lot of opportunities to justify it, excuse it, you know, render it meaningless that were not given to men of color. And, and to the extent that we do pay attention to what straight white men are doing sexually, no one ever asked the question, well, what is it about white culture? You know, what is it about um, whiteness that makes that kind of sex practice uh, possible? Which, whereas for men of color, their sex practices were being understood entirely through the lens of race. So I really, I wanted to highlight not just that straight white men were engaged in homosexual sex, but also that there was this very different um, set of, cu of cultural narratives that circulated around um, straight white men's sex practices. Mm -hmm. 
So you mentioned the queer movement before, so I was just wondering if you could talk about what kind of implications your book might have for LGBT or queer politics. Yeah, um, well, I think I think there are several, and I dedicate the last chapter of the book to, to trying to flesh that out. Um, you know, I think part of uh, what's going on in it, um, as we think about sexual fluidity and uh, what some people have turned, termed uh, heteroflexibility, is that as we move toward an understanding of homosexuality um, as a biological, as, as having biological origins, not just homosexuality, but all sexual identities, it's become the, the vast ma- majority of Americans now believe that people are born with a um, heterosexual, homosexual, or bisexual constitution, and that that cannot be changed. And so the, to the extent that we increasingly believe that as Americans, and that we define um, gay culture as a um, romance and love-based formation, that gay people are, you know, just like straight people. They want, you know, to fall in love and get married and have kids and be prosperous and have middle-class lives, all of that, that homonormative narrative. What this means is that um, the, the terrain that used to be associated with queerness casual, um, ephemeral, um, uh, politically, perhaps even politically or, or non-identitarian, I guess is what I want to say, sorts of sexual contact, um, become, you know, that terrain then shifts over to straight identified people who start to get to own what is raunchy or, um, uh, um, subcultural or non-identitarian about queer sexual encounters. And so I'm concerned about that trend and wanting to intervene in that and, and also wanting to push back on this, certainly push back considerably on this idea that, um, uh, you know, that we know a person is gay and born gay if they have the capacity to ever have a homosexual encounter. Um, so I know that sexuality is kind of a topic that can be sort of taboo. Uh, can you talk about what it was like to write a book about sexual practices and not just sexual identities? Yeah, it was completely delicious. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And in fact, it was especially, you know, I my first book was... And, and ethnography of LGBT organizations, and it was about the corporatization of of the of the queer movement and um, and the co-optation of diversity. And so, it was, you know, it was an, an exciting project in any in many ways, but it was also uh, ultimately it was depressing. You know, I um i felt discouraged by what i found in that project and so shifting gears to be able to um move you know shift away from the organization as the unit of analysis to think about bodies and sex practices as the unit of analysis was really refreshing for me uh also 
So this probably isn't what you were getting at, but I'll just say, you know, I was pregnant and then nursing while I was writing this book. And so somehow it was just the perfect, um, I don't know, counterbalance to those bleary eyed middle of the night. Uh, you know, I'm a mother who's just a, you know, a, a nursing contraption <laughs> to be, you know, to be really, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is in a way it kind of kept me connected to my queerness to um, be thinking and writing about sex practices and their implications at that particular time in my life. Yeah, that's great. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what's next for you in terms of projects? Sure. Um, I'm well in the, in the immediate, I, you know, I received a tremendous amount of hate mail, um, from people who read not gay and disagreed with the central argument that, that sometimes people can have homosexual sex for heterosexual reasons. And it turns out that that argument is very threatening to a particular population, and that population was white gay men. I, I just, you know, what, many, many white gay men were really angry about this book, whereas the straight men that I heard from mostly sent me these detailed confessions of, you know, about the different kinds of sex they'd had with men. Um, so anyway, I am working now on using um, that response from gay men, the, the, the messages that I received from them and some of the commentary that, that emerged online around the book as uh, data to think about how, um, how non-academic gay men res- resist queer studies and feminist queer studies in particular. So I've been working on that. And then I also ha- am um, working on a new book uh, that's tentatively called the, F- the Failure of Heterosexuality, How Sexism Doomed the World's Most Cherished Union and Hid the Wreckage. And in that book, I'm arguing that, um, that heterosexual culture is basically, you know, a, a, a very damaged, um, a very damaged formation in need of queer intervention, damaged and unsustainable, ultimately. And um, and I'm particularly tracing through the 20th century into the 21st century what I'm calling the heterosexual repair industry, all of the books and goods and services and therapeutic techniques that have attempted to resolve um, conflicts between men and women without actually paying attention to the vital feminist interventions that... Um, that would actually speak to the structural core of, of those problems. So, so that's the next book. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Like kind of how heterosexuality is maintained, I guess. Is that like, like, do you think of it as something that's like fragile, I guess? I do think of it as something that's fragile and there's been, you know, a lot, there's a lot of great work on the fragility of heterosexuality, how it's, how it's accomplished, how it's, um, and, and how it needs to continually be, um, um, performed and, um, sustained because, you know, the work of being straight is never, is never fully done. But, but, 
I'm also interested in this um, pre prevailing idea in the 20th, 20th century of the battle of the sexes, of this fundamental difference between men and women, which mm -hmm. often manifests as the belief, um, ironically, that men and women actually hate each other, <laughs> that they <laughs> don't really respect one another, they don't really enjoy one another's company, they're attracted to each other, and um, and of course they also love each other uh, as they enter you know relationships, but but that there's a tremendous amount of labor that they have to put in to um, resolve these conflicts that that they imagine to be driven by fundamental um, gender differences, and that's a dynamic that from a queer perspective is frankly just tragic it's mm -hmm. it's it's really sad um and so even though we have this this i you know there's the story that we tell about how it's so much harder to be queer than to be straight and how you know straight people should be allies to queer people blah 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 um i'm really interested in flipping the script to reveal that from my perspective as a queer feminist it's quite sad to be straight <laughs> and i'm very invested in being an ally, particularly to straight women. Um, the many, many straight women who sit in my office hours and tell me the most horrifying stories about, you know, sexual assault and how their boyfriends treat them and how their uh, fathers treat their mothers. And so I think, you know, it's really time to look at, um, to, to really critically examine this idea that, that we still promote, which is that um, somehow heterosexuality is an easier way to go. Wow. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I'm excited that you're taking that angle and we'll be really excited to read it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've been talking to Jane Ward about her book entitled Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men. Jane, thank you so much for stopping by Office Hours today. It's been great talking with you. You're so welcome. I loved it. This episode of Office Hours featured Dr. Jane Ward discussing her new book, Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men. She was interviewed by a new host of Office Hours, Allison Nobles, and the episode was produced by Matt Gunther through the Society pages at the University of Minnesota. If you like this interview, you can find plenty more like it at our website, thesocietypages.org.